today I'm finishing this series in 2 Corinthians, and because um, next week starts Advent. <laughs> wow. Talk about going by in a blink, right? My goodness. Um, it just feels like this year has flown by. Uh, Dan said that to me the other day. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Uh, I just wish that 2020 would have gone by this fast, right? <laughs> yeah, if we we're going to miss a year, it might as well go by quick. But anyway, so now here we are uh, coming up on the Christmas season. And um, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that series too. Um, some interesting things there. Um, back, I, I can't remember. It was probably about um, March or April. Uh, I remember the Lord saying something to me to the effect of that you're going into the season of learning. And I, I, I feel like as a church, we're always trying to learn something, but there are certain seasons where God wants us to do specific things. And, and I, I, I don't know about you, but just this last year, I feel like um, God just turned on a fire hose. There were just several things that have uh, kind of struck me um, as far as you know, new depths in my understanding of discipleship and whatnot. Uh, at the same time, I, I do think that there's been kind of this um, turn up of spiritual pressure as well. Um, I don't know if it's just because you're more sensitive to what God's doing that, that um, you begin to feel other things more acutely. I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like both of those things are true. But this fire hose has been very interesting. And that said, uh, today, I, I frankly, I have more material than I have time for. And so there's a good chance that I'm going to return to some of the stuff a little bit later. Uh, but to that end, I would like to invite you to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where I'm going to be. I'm not going to have it on the screen for you, because uh, that was the other thing the Lord said. He wanted us to be in our Bibles. So if you get a Bible app, you can punch it in. If you have old school hard copy, uh, by all means, flip to that, to that chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read it, and then um, we're going to kind of see what the Lord wants to do here. Because uh, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that he's got an agenda for today. <laughs> um, it's his church. He can do that. That's great. So um, for those of you who are gathering with us online, I uh, understand we had a little bit of technical difficulty. Hopefully you can still hear me. And um, uh, we'll get, try to get that righted as soon as we possibly can. So stay tuned to the little notes and comments because the tech team is diligently working on that. Um, while you're turning to that, uh, to that chapter and verse, um, let me kind of give you a little, little bit of brief context here. <clears throat> Paul spends a lot of time in 2 Corinthians defending his work. Um, and there's, a, there's several reasons for this, but um, if you read through the entire letter, you find that it's mostly a defense um, because he's talking to an immature church. And you've got to keep that in mind, that the Corinthian church is very immature. And there's conflict between Paul, the founding uh, apostle, and this church, largely because Paul needed to make some corrections. And you know, as human beings, we just love correction, don't we? We just love it, love it, love it, love it. And something tells me is that um, Paul could be very gentle, and there were other times that Paul wasn't very gentle. And you can read some of that in, in the book of 1 Corinthians or the letter of 1 Corinthians. But within this defense that he makes over a period of, of, of pages here, there are these little gems of, of pragmatic theology and practice. Certain things that just kind of rise to the surface. Um, like last week when we were talking about this strange 
um, connection between giving and investing in the, in the kingdom. This idea of tzedakah, which is the, the Jewish idea of charity or what we might better call generosity. How do we live that particular way and trust God uh, financially as a part of that and as a big part of that particular verse? But that was a real gem. There were some things in there that really um, caused me to think a little more deeply uh, about those kinds of issues. And um, this uh, verse here in 2 Corinthians 10 uh, was one of the ones I wanted to make sure that we covered before we finished. So I think it's kind of fitting that we're actually ending on this particular passage because uh, I think it's really important, um, not just for us as a church, but for all of us as individuals. So let me read through this. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm gonna start with verse uh, number three. Uh, this probably is gonna be a familiar passage to you, so uh, let's read this again. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. Now I'm deliberately kind of setting this off because this is the most uh, well-known of, of the passage. And there's some things here that are really important. And in the Bible, what we often see um, you know, throughout the pages, what we often see is that authors will use historical events um, to illustrate spiritual truths. So uh, the one that really comes to mind is um, Jesus is making um, a spiritual comment uh, about, uh, about people and blaming and victims and that sort of thing. And he talks about a particular tower that fell over and killed a bunch of people. That was a historical event that Jesus used in order to uh, illustrate a spiritual truth. Now, believe it or not, we have something similar that's happening, that's happening here. Um, Paul, who's writing to this particular church in Corinth, talks about Corinthian history to a certain extent. So um, just for reference, Corinth was actually conquered by the Romans in 146 BCE. It was rebuilt in 44. Now please understand, when we say that the Romans conquered something, typically what that meant is they just raised it to the ground. You're gonna knock over the stones and you're, gonna, you're just not gonna leave anything there. So that was very typical. Uh, in this case, they, they conquered it um, but then they rebuilt the city roughly 100 years later, and Paul is now writing this in roughly 55 CE, or what we used to call AD. So in the common era, about 55, some 20 some odd years after, after Jesus, okay? So kind of give you a reference. So we are talking about a, a period of history that is maybe 200 years. Um, you know, we remember a lot of things in our history 200 years ago, right? So this is, this is appropriate. Uh, Paul is using this idea to, to try to illustrate. So we have this idea of being demolished. So warfare and destruction are part of uh, Corinth's not too distant past, we'll put it that way. But notice here in verse three, <clears throat> it says that we, we live 
in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul doesn't usually use the word world um, where he talks about this world. He usually talks about the flesh. And indeed, he does it here. This is a translational uh, decision that the um, NIV translators use to talk about in the world. But he says, we do not wage war in the flesh or as the flesh does, right? So the idea here is he's making a distinction between spiritual things and physical things. And he's saying this you know, flat out. We don't do this. We don't wage war. Even though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war in the flesh. But here's the interesting thing. He doesn't say that we don't wage war. You see that? There is the notion here in the passage that there is war to be waged. It's just waged differently when you're a follower of Jesus. There's a kind of a spiritual way to do it. I've been thinking about this for quite some time because especially with all the weirdness that's going on around in the world today, um, I've noticed this in movies too. Uh, And maybe, maybe you have as well. You cannot fight evil with evil. It only expands evil. Does this make sense? And if you're a J.R.R. Tolkien fan, this is the whole point of the Lord of the Rings. You have multiple uh, human beings who are trying to use this evil ring to bring good in the world, and you cannot do it. I think Tolkien was way ahead of his time on this. You cannot fight evil with evil and expect good to come out of it. You just can't do it. And yet, I think that's what we try to do over and over again. We try to use evil in order to fight, fight evil. Um, now, I gotta be honest, I, there's, there's a lot of things that I think are worth fighting, and I think we have to be you know, careful how we fight them, and we have to go through um, a certain amount of, uh, of ethical discovery to understand that. But you cannot fight evil with evil. You just get more, more of it, even though it might be expedient. And it is. Fighting evil with evil is expedient. The problem is, is it doesn't actually do anything. And so Paul continues then in, um, in verse four. Let's take a look at that. Verse four. The weapons we fight with, again, he's not denying warfare. He's just saying the weapons that we do fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now, here's the thing. If, if you were a young Christian like I was many years ago, this got really exciting, right? Got real exciting because, ooh, we're going we're gonna to engage in spiritual warfare. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Hold on, John Wick. All right, just hold on for a second. Um, before you go jumping all into the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, there's something that you need to remember. The Corinthian church is an immature church. The Ephesian church is a very mature church. And so we have to approach this same topic very differently because we're coming at it from a different perspective, right? We're dealing with different levels of maturity. You do not teach your children the same way that you teach adults. That's why we have kids' church, right? We do it differently. Um, And that's what Paul's attempting to do here. So before we start jumping into spiritual warfare, you gotta start with some some basics. And I think what Paul is saying here is that... um, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, right? In, in verse four. 
what he's suggesting is here is don't settle for something less than the ones with the divine power. Quit fighting evil with evil. You understand? So there's really this underlying message of don't settle when we're talking about spiritual uh, warfare. You want the better thing. And sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm gonna step in it now. I'm gonna get in trouble. That's okay. I've been in trouble before. But sometimes I feel like the church has exchanged its power and authority for something like politics. I'm not saying don't do politics. I'm just saying what Paul is suggesting to all of us is that there's a better way to wage those wars. And why would we exchange the power and authority from on high for something that is far less? And maybe evil with evil. I'm gonna leave that door open. You can agree with me or or not agree with me, that's fine. But the point I think that Paul is uh, poking at us with is this idea, what are you settling for? If you don't choose the better way, if you don't choose the divine power, what are you settling for? It's a great question. So whenever you're dealing with these kinds of issues, you probably need to ask yourself that. Um, I don't want to exchange power and authority. I don't want the church to, I don't want to on my own, don't settle. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just four chapters previous, Paul uh, talks about wielding um, weapons of righteousness in the left hand and in the right hand. So whatever weapons he's talking about here seem to be tied back to this idea of righteousness. And I would suggest that spiritual warfare is rooted in righteousness, period. In fact, I've heard one person say it, and I I think it's true, spiritual warfare is always truth overcoming lies. Always. But here's the kicker. This is the thing that you gotta remember. Thing that I have to remember, too, is that if truth is overcoming lies, the prerequisite is righteousness. Because if you don't have righteousness, you don't have truth. Does that make sense? So you gotta get in the right order, right? You wanna have the warfare, yay! That's fine, but please understand that there is righteousness as a prerequisite because that's the only way that you get to the truth. Jesus said it best. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. And so sometimes it's really easy to say, it's like, okay, there's the kingdom and there's righteousness and I need to pursue those two things. Mm -mm. The kingdom and righteousness are one and the same. It's a matter of emphasis. The kingdom includes righteousness, and what Jesus is saying is, by pursuing the kingdom, you are pursuing righteousness because that is the very nature of God. And if you're pursuing righteousness, you are pursuing the kingdom of God because that's the nature of the kingdom. You see that? So the idea of pursuing righteousness is always the prerequisite for, well, discipleship and the kingdom, but also if you're engaged in any type of spiritual conflict. Righteousness is key. It's something that is necessary and mandatory. So when he talks about these weapons of our warfare that have divine power, he's talking about weapons of righteousness, which Paul himself has talked about wielding in his left hand and right hand. I got one of those Eskrima guys in my head doing this kind of thing. I don't know, that's just me. So it's a matter of emphasis when when Jesus is talking about that. And so when you're in a spiritual battle, you want to lay hold of righteousness. And, and here's the thing. If you know that you're in the midst of spiritual conflict, and a lot of you have, have experienced that over the last couple of years, 
One of the things that you want to do is you want to check in with God and going and just say, hey, we okay? You know, where's my heart in relation to you? Because righteousness is, is the way through. And you want to make sure that you've checked in with him. Make sure there isn't something sitting out there that you need to get rid of, okay? You may have to deal with that as well. Now, about these weapons, uh, because I know that you're all interested in those things. Because <laughs> it's fun, it's interesting, right? So the weapons of our warfare, on the contrary, uh, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so this divine power um, essentially demolishes three things, and we want to talk about those in, in particular. It talks about strongholds, arguments, and pretensions, and I want to take them in reverse, okay? So we're going to start with the last one and work our way, work our way back. First thing he talks about is pretensions. Okay, I've got to be honest, I had to look that one up. Okay, what does it mean to be pretentious? To be pretentious means that you act superior. Do you know anybody like that? Yeah, yeah. Everybody does, a little bit pretentious. Um, so in English, it is this idea of superiority. The Greek word means lofty ideas. Lofty ideas. Boy, they sound good. This one seems superior to that one. It's a lofty I- idea or an ideal. <clears throat> Sometimes what is contrary to God sounds like a better alternative. It does. Um, Sometimes it even sounds righteous. Much of what I would call the so-called transgender discussion fits this, okay? I want to I be careful here, okay? Again, uh, there's um, no use for, for jokes on this. I, I, think it's, I, think, I think the discussion has moved into the realm of absurdity. But at the core, the idea here is that we would be inclusive, we would be tolerant, and it even sounds loving, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, because everybody deserves the love of God. Yes, they do, absolutely. That doesn't mean that every part of every human being is, is uh, in line or in alignment with God. Because I also know in Genesis chapter 1, in his own image, he made them male and female. That's a matter of biology, not a matter of language and gender, right? So it sounds like a lofty idea. Oh, yes, if we're, if we're inclusive and we're loving, and this sounds like a great idea. This seems like a lofty idea. And I know there are, there are lots of churches that have, have embraced that, and that's between them and the Lord. I have, I have no judgment on them. They, they need to, to, to deal with that, and I'm not calling down transgender people. I'm not doing it. I'm just suggesting here that there is some truth within the scripture that is contrary to the narrative that's being told. And we need to pay attention to that as well. And so when we're faced with some of these lofty ideas, we need to check it out against God's word. That's a pretension. And God's word deals with a lot of that. Now, sometimes, um, just kind of set that aside, just internally, we'll come up with our own causes, won't we? We have some, some stuff, uh, our pet projects and whatnot. And those too can be a bit distracting from actually following God. Um, 
there might be uh, something that, you know, at its core is a very good thing. But if it, if it keeps you from following God, from listening to him and actually being directed by him, then it's a distraction and it could be a lofty idea that you have. I'm really good about coming up with my own ideas. I really like my ideas. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily God's ideas, right? So it's one of the places that we all need to pay a little, little closer attention to. Is there something that is a pretension that has set itself up against the knowledge of God in my own life, in my own heart? That's the question that we're, we're looking at. The second thing that we find here are arguments, right? These arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Now, we got a lot of years of history on this one. Um, in theology, we call it apologetics. It's where you're using logic to um, discuss and and debate um, whether it's the existence of God or anything related to spiritual matters. Uh, The word here in Greek means reasoning and thought. So arguments is a really great translation for it, I think. And I think the the most common place that at least I see it is just with the problem of evil. With all the horror in the world and all of the nastiness that we see, then you got a couple of options here. Either um, God is not good, um, God is not omnipotent, or God doesn't even exist. You look at the problem of evil, and it's really easy to, to come up with one of those three conclusions, right? And, and ultimately speaking, it, it creates a certain amount of doubt <clears throat> in our minds. That's the effect. There's doubt now. Wait a second. Even if I haven't experienced that evil and I just see it around me, there are, those questions come up. If I've experienced it, those questions become even more real. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the effect is doubt. The thing that is is that God gives us free will. And he won't violate our free will. Because if you want to experience and express true love, real love, it must be an actual choice. You tracking with me on this one? This one's a little, little more heady, but I think it makes, makes some sense. If God doesn't give us the choice, then is it real love? Love has to be chosen in order for it to be real. And so he gives us the free will and he doesn't violate that. This is one of the reasons why we find there's two types of trees in the Garden of Eden. The one that you can eat from and the ones that you weren't supposed to eat from. They had to choose which one they were going to eat from. Eventually they made the wrong choice, right? Plunged the whole world in a big old mess. And you can't just blame Eve because Adam did it too, right? And if it weren't them, someone else would have come along and probably done the same thing. But the point being is that there's a choice. And every time there's a choice, that means that there's some, some free will that's involved and that's what God doesn't, doesn't violate. And so the problem of evil has less to do with God and more to do with us and our choices. Keep that in mind. I don't like that. But if we want real love and we want to be able to express it, it has to be a choice. 
The also, it seems to me that there's another way that this idea of argument can work out. Have you ever had one of those circumstances where you knew what the right thing was to do, but you spent an awful lot of time and energy trying to talk yourself out of it? Or there was something that you knew that you shouldn't do, and you spent a lot of time arguing yourself into it? That's the same thing that's going on here. It's an argument. There's reasoning and there's logic. So this happens kind of in the external world on a big scale, but it also happens within our own hearts. We have these arguments with ourselves. And we go back and forth, and we, we try to either convince ourselves to do something or to not to do something. And We're all going to go through this again because New Year's is coming up and we've got to do resolutions, right? We're going to have this argument. I should do this, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> <clears throat> and I think what often happens is we end up with that little question, was that really God's voice? Yeah, that's common. Finally, we have to deal with strongholds. And strongholds has gotten a lot of ink over the years. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to add to it a little bit. That's all right. The word that's used here is a fortress or a keep inside a walled fortification, okay? So stronghold sounds like it is. It's a, it's a stronghold. It's a fort, a fortress of some type. Um, it's where an enemy can hide away and be protected but able to strike at random. If you remember, back this summer, we talked about David going to his stronghold. Well, what did he do? He went to the stronghold with his advisors and his military generals, and they made some decisions, and from there, they mounted their assault against the uh, Philistines. That's what's happening here. This is the idea of, of a stronghold. I can go there, I can be protected, I can be hidden away, I can be safe, and then I can strike from there. So when we think about this idea of stronghold, most often this occurs, at least in my experience, is that a stronghold occurs when we believe a lie about ourselves. And for whatever reason, when we believe that lie about ourselves, the enemy gets a place within our heart and he strikes at random and it's devastating. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. Usually it's tied to shame. Not always, but oftentimes it's tied with shame. Sometimes with fear. But we get these, these strongholds and it's a lie about we believe ourselves. But if you believe the lie, you empower the liar. Believe the lie, you empower the liar. And so you have to confront the stronghold, which is the lie that's in your heart. And from this in, internal fortress, the enemy undermines our faith and erodes our confidence in God. Because he can't possibly love me. That's a lie. That's not what this says about you. That's not what the word says. That's not what God says about you directly. And not to just general humanity, to you sitting there in that seat right now, okay? We have to keep this in mind. He is speaking it to this, not generally, but specifically. He is calling you a son or daughter. That's you. The lie is that you're not. That's the stronghold. 
And if you're operating with that stronghold, undermining your faith and eroding your confidence in God, you, you gotta deal with that. And sometimes it can be super subtle as well. Um, and it's often very difficult to root out because usually one lie is predicated on another lie, on another lie, and you got this taproot of lies that go all the way down. And I've seen this over and over. In fact, I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in my own therapy. So you're in good company, right? Everybody has some of these issues. And so if you find yourself full of doubt or if you find yourself in full of fear, there's a really good chance you've got a stronghold that you need to deal with. Find the lie and you find the stronghold. And that's when you take that back to God and you go, okay, what do I do with this? What's really true? How do we deal with that? I know, by the way, sometimes those lies that we believe ourselves about ourselves have been placed there by someone else. Someone um, that may have inflicted trauma on you. It may have been just a, what's the word I'm looking for? A word that was said to you in passing that had a devastating effect because it planted that lie. This is why you have to be so careful with your words, why God wants us to be careful with our words. Now, the only way to defeat these three things, pretensions, arguments, strongholds, there's only one way to do it, and we find it there at the, um, that, um, the end of a chapter, or a verse five there. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive. So what does that really mean? Because I've, I've heard that one before too, haven't you? Like, take thought every captive. And I used to think that it meant where if I had a bad thought in my head, I had to stop right there and go, oh God, help me with this, right? It may mean that for you, but I think that there's some other things that are, are going on in this the first thing that you need to understand is that the, the spiritual battle is almost always for your mind. Almost always for your mind. There's something that's going on inside your head that God is trying to get rid of because you don't need it. It's not good for you. It's not what he has in mind for you. And it says, and set up, these things that are set up against the knowledge of God. Knowledge is a thought type of thing. We're talking about the intellect here. We're talking about the mind. And <laughs> anything that sets itself against the knowledge of God is the work of the enemy. It is not the work of God. It is contrary to the very nature of God. And all of these things, these strongholds, these pretensions, these arguments, all of these things are designed to do one thing and that is to steal your trust. Why would you want to trust God if you feel this way? Well, that's not even logical. Right? Oh, you can't do this. See how subtle it is? But it's all to steal the trust that you have and God. That's a good point, David. Amen to that, right? Yeah. All of it. And so really what Paul is saying here, by taking ourselves cap- taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, ourselves, really is about 
taking ourselves, instead of orienting ourselves to the lie or to the argument or to the lofty idea and turning, repenting, turning, and reorienting ourselves back to the kingdom. What does God say about this? What is this kingdom about? What's really going on here? What's the truth? What's the righteousness? That is how we defeat these things. That's why they're so powerful, because the kingdom is contrary to that. And if that's designed to steal my trust, then I want to step into trusting and pressing into him a little bit more. I don't understand this, Lord. I don't understand why this is occurring to me. I don't understand where this thing, this lie in my heart came from. I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why that person's acting that way. But I do know that you're in control, that this is your kingdom. I am a son, I am a daughter, and I want to live as a citizen of the kingdom, not as a citizen of this world. That's spiritual warfare. It's reorienting ourselves back to the kingdom of God And it's one of the reasons why I think Paul writes later on this idea that you have to renew your mind. Renewing your mind is the same thing as reorienting back to the kingdom. I have to go back to the things that God says in contrast to the things that I might be experiencing in day to day. What does he say about our circumstances? What does he say about us as individuals? And we have to learn how to lean into that particular kind of truth. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Because we have been conditioned to listen to the lie over a lot of years. And here we are dealing with truth. And saying, okay, wait a minute. What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe something I find in here? Or am am I going to believe my feelings? I don't know what your feelings are like, but mine are quite fickle. They bounce around an awful lot. But this... And what God says about me and what he says about you never changes because his heart doesn't change. He's not fickle. He actually enjoys hanging out with you. This idea of presence is all about trying to reorient ourselves constantly back to the kingdom. So easy for me to talk about all these things, right? It's really easy to talk about all these things in theory. But, you know, some of you are going to get up tomorrow and you're going to go to a job. And you got people in your job that you don't like. Be honest now, you're in church. You got some relationships that you would just as soon not be a part of. But for one reason or another, you have to be part of them. <clears throat> and there are decisions that you have to make. And there are things that you have to face. And what I'm suggesting to you is You are not powerless. This is not theory, this is real. So when you're in that moment, if you can calm your, it's it's the lizard brain in us. It just kind of starts shouting at us, you know, and all these emotions flowing through you, and you're using language you shouldn't be using, and, you know, you're turning the air blue because you're upset about something, and I know, I know what that's like. And everybody kind of does it. It's in that moment where you have to say to yourself, okay, how do I take captive that thought to the obedience of Christ? What's God really saying about this set of circumstances? What's possible here? Because once you reorient yourself to the kingdom, you are now given a new set of possibilities. 
You don't have to respond in the way that you used to. In some ways, I think a lot of the times what Jesus is saying, would you just sit down and let me fight this? It's, it's this moment, and I, I've gotten this several times, and maybe you have too, where I, I feel like God's just saying, lie down before you hurt yourself, right? You just, you just need to, you know, take a chair, you're gonna be fine. Sometimes, I think, I think a lot of times, God is asking us to do that, and we need to allow him to work out his purposes in this, but the only way that happens is if I deal with truth and righteousness. God, I don't like this. I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like how this person is making me feel. I don't, whatever the circumstances are, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with God and reorient yourself and say, okay, I know this is hard, but Lord, there is something you want to do here and I want to be a part of that. That's more important than me being right. That's more important than me winning. What's more important here is that I learn what it is that you want to teach me through this. That's called discipleship. That's called growth. It's what makes us a mature church that can actually handle the armor of God. Like the Corinthian church, most of us aren't ready for that yet. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying that we need to start with the basics to learn how to reorient, reorient ourselves back to the kingdom. That's where you're going to defeat strongholds. That's where you're going to see the arguments begin to fade and those lofty ideas not look so lofty anymore. That's the place where you're going to find it. I don't know what you're experiencing today. I know that, um, that God knows. And I know that in a group this size, in a group any size, frankly, there are almost always strongholds. There's almost always arguments that you're having with yourselves. And there are certainly plenty of lofty ideas out there to choose from. And maybe you're struggling with some of those. And by struggling, I mean there's something that you're thinking about. Maybe you're entertaining those things. I gotta be honest, one of the things that I am desperately trying to do is to figure out how to not entertain those things that are not of God. Because there's a lot of temptation to do that. Um, and largely it comes from that little phone in my hand, some total of human knowledge, all within the palm of my hand. But it doesn't necessarily tell me what God says about those things. Because my guess is, your Bible app is not nearly open as often as your YouTube and Facebook are. I don't mean to be condemning, because mine's that way too, right? But I don't want to entertain those things that have nothing to do with God or his kingdom. There's no profit in it. There's no produce to it. And God wants return. And I want my life to be that way. So I'm going to have Dan come down and, and, uh, and the band, and we're going to worship here for a minute, but as, as he's coming down, I want to pray for all of you. Because I have a sense, um, I don't claim to understand this, uh, so I'm, I'm just going to say what my sense is and we'll see what happens. I have a sense that when God shows us where there's a stronghold, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to break it. He wants to demolish it. When God shows us where the argument is or where he shows us where the pretension is, I think he wants to demolish those things. 
And in my heart of hearts, I know that God wants to set some people free. I, I know that. Because that is in his nature. And remember, one of the things that we, we learned last week is that God in his nature is one of increase. An increase of light, an increase of goodness, of righteousness, of holiness, of freedom. And so I don't know what you're wrestling with. You might not even know what it is right now either. But I suspect over the next few weeks and months, probably weeks, that you're gonna become aware of something. Maybe you didn't even know it was there. Or maybe you did and you were ignoring it. And God's quietly just kind of tapping on that door a little bit, going, yeah, I wanna see what's in here. It's like, a, it's like your junk drawer at home, right? If somebody needs something out of the junk drawer, you're the only one who can open it. You don't want them to see what that's, what's in there. And I think God is like poking at those drawers going, hmm, what's in here? And we're afraid and we're ashamed and all of that. And what God is really doing, he's not poking at it to make you feel bad. He never does it to shame you, ever. He wants to set you free. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. And like always, I don't, uh, I don't say this often enough, but you know, I'm gonna be over here. You wanna pray about one of those things? Come on down. Um, and don't worry about other people wondering what your issue is, because you know what? They're wrestling with their own. They don't have time to think about you and your problems, because they got their own. So if it's something where you feel like, mm, the Lord's poking me on this one, mm, let's, let's start dealing with it. We may not get through the whole thing, that's fine, but let's take it, let's take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ and see what he says about it. God, I know that uh, sitting here in, in this room, we're human beings and we all have our stuff, junk that we don't really need, baggage that we carry that, that you did not give us, somebody else may have given us, but we still gotta deal with it. And you're, you're gently calling and saying, oh, I really want you to be free of that. <laughs> I feel like God's saying right now is like, aren't you tired of it? Then let's put that down and let's, let's deal with, with some, some righteousness. Let's deal with some truth. Let's deal with the good things of God rather than the negativity and the awfulness and the horror of this world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be active as we sing, as we worship. I have no expectation other than you're in charge because this is your church. And I want to pray for any individual who might need an extra dose of courage to begin the process of taking certain thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That you would give them that little bit of strength that they might need. You said it yourself, be strong and courageous. It starts right now. And that battle is usually internal. It's usually one that we're all fighting. So God, Holy Spirit, come. You decide what needs to happen today. We want to be a part of it.
We want to see your kingdom here. Would you meet with us one more time? Pray this all in Jesus' name and a great deal of hope. Amen.